So you have one euro and one chance to play something on the jukebox. What is it? Straight away, I know what it is because I've done it. I like, I like it. My money's worth. Welcome to Rockefeller's Storytellers, a podcast by Dead Horse Jive, Ireland's best-dressed rock and roll band. So, in each episode two of Dead Horse Jive, we'll sit down for a long-ish conversation. The questions for each episode will be written by the other members of the band. So, yeah, this is the only podcast in which a band basically interviews itself on a weekly basis. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two of the Rockefellers Storytellers podcast. You're very welcome with me, Martin, and Shocks. Thank you very much, Martin. Thanks for having me. Is that how this format works? Are you having me? Am I your guest? I don't think so. I think I just talked first. So that makes me in charge. <laughs> if you, Either way. If you say, if you say better here. things, you'll take the lead, you know? Okay, I think that works. Off, we crack into the first episode, first question? Yeah, let's do it. So our first question here is a good one. I like this. How do you write your songs? I've been thinking about this over the last few days. I really, this sounds really stupid. I start writing my songs with the first line of the song. I'm one of those people okay. who doesn't have an idea or doesn't have, I'm just kind of playing some chords and then I say something. I, I, you've noticed that my songs are very story-like. And they yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. They kind of, of tell a tale of as they, in the songs, yeah. they go on. And I think that's and there's because... And characters and stuff. And I think that's because I start at the start and then it moves its way along. You know, my Irish one turned to grey. Oh, yeah, went, yeah, like, yeah. I like that. I, ju- I just went, just playing the guitar and then I just went... Oh, this is very Irishy sounding. And a giant wave came down. Wait, what? Uh, uh, <laughs> you know? And then, what, what would a wave do? Well, it, he took his love away. And then the whole thing came about that, you know? Or uh, Man of Money. I was just playing guitar again, and uh, I went, best you better listen, boy. Here comes a man with money. And I was like, where did that come from? You know? And then... <laughs> what was the, that? <laughs> and I just kind of finished out the song like that. Another thing I do is one time I was sitting in my house and I went, yeah. and my housewife went, what are you doing? And I went, I'm going to write a song with that. And I went, That's awful irritating. And then I went in to write my song and I came back like 20 minutes later and I wrote Know You about an irritating person. I like that. So you're, you're, you're writing a song based around just a sound, like just as a jumping off point. I don't ever, I don't ever do that. I don't ever walk into a room with an idea and come out 20 minutes later with a song, you know? Most of the time, like, I'll be practicing and, like, I'll, I'll come up with a little riff or some kind of musical idea that I like. Um, and I think, that could be a song. What, what ideas do I have? I might go back to something that I, that I wrote down, like, an, an idea that I had. It might just be a title or it might be some lyrics that I had while I was, like, walking home from work. I thought, oh, I could put music to that at some point. There's, there's some songs, like that have taken me years to write because I'll come up with a riff at one point and then lyrics later. And then there's, there's still just a verse. So I'll come up with a, a, a chorus like months afterwards. Uh, and it ends up with like all my songs. I feel like they're just kind of Frankenstein messes of, 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 of whole different things. But I find um, you get a really cool kind of complex melodies out of your lyrics because you have like the kind of interesting guitar bit down and then you put lyrics over it 
rather than me putting lyrics just over chords. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think about that kind of melody stuff a lot. Like, I wanted to write a song that was really easy for everyone to play except for Dara because Dara had come to the band with a song that was just ludicrously complex and technically difficult and we were I remember it well (laughs) weeks remember weeks in the practice room trying to get it like it was absurd so after this course then you do eight turnarounds and after this course you do 10 and then you modulate (laughs) up and then it's 12 turnarounds and yeah so just just as pure revenge I wanted to write a song that was really easy for everyone except for Dara and I I did that by like um, I, I wrote the I wrote the melody on the guitar. So I've never been much of a singer. So I like to like sit down with the guitar and work out a melody on that, you know. And then even if it's stuff that's like out of my range, you know, I don't have to worry about that because I can I can turn around to Dara and say sing this and you'll, you'll get it. But with this one, I wanted to get something crazy difficult. And I was telling him my plan, and he was like, "I'll get it in one." Sure, he hasn't even memorized the words yet. <laughs> <laughs> I know it is awful hard though. Don't you have like uh six and stuff that aren't in the chord? Yeah, yeah, that's that's how I made it hard. It's like sing you, you gotta you gotta sing a hold a C sharp over a B minor chord, which is pretty tricky. You want to go to the C, because that's the what is that? That's the the minor tenth of B. No, the D. The D. Yeah, you want to go to the D, but like I wrote it in such a way where the, the melody is that you go into the C sharp and that's um yeah, that turned out to be like a really, really hard thing to sing. I I, I don't get it most of the time. It it does sound great when he gets it. And I loved I loved watching him just hate it and hate you. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah no, it was great. Like because you just have to sit there and be like, ready, ready ready okay i'll get it and then because you know you just naturally want to sing notes that are in the chord that's being played so it's really really straight hard up to, to the d you know ready yeah you know it's really hard to get out of that uh that that habit it's just it feels so instinctive you have to like train yourself not to so that's that's a bit about my songwriting process anyways um let's move on all right so cool. question number two Martin, what is the most impressive thing you've seen at a live gig that you've been to? Immediately, I think of Strobe Light and Motorhead. Gotta be, right? What, uh, Mickey D's drum solo? No, last song, Overkill was playing to ter- put on a strobe light when everyone was in oh, a mosh pit. yes. Oh, yeah, that was nuts. <laughs> yeah. Because the way... Yeah, because I remember what they, what they do with, with Overkill is they ended on a big... Um, uh, what do you call yeah, that? You uh, finish, and then the drummer goes, and then back in for another double chorus, and then finish and, another and double chorus. Everyone in the crowd thinks, you know, okay, this is the end of the show. This is the like big climax. So they're absolutely going nuts in the mosh pit, and you're, you know, you're you're shouting and screaming, and then you think it's done, and then Mickey D comes back in with that. And the riff comes in again, and it just, they keep it going. It was amazing. I remember looking around, uh, well, as much as like seeing strobe light going off, I'd like look at someone, they'd be on the floor, and then I'd be on the floor. And then you look at someone, and it was all just, you know, freeze frame images of people yeah. falling and standing up and falling, you know. 
while you're doing the exact I, I, same thing. Yeah, I remember, uh, I remember at that gig, Lemmy threw a load of picks into the crowd. And I remember like fighting with, with the guys next to me to get one of the picks. And I was just like so determined to get one. And I, I think I, I got one. I lost it within like a week. I still have one. It's right here in this room. What no I did way. was I blue tacked it, it off to me. <laughs> no, I blue tacked it to the wall when I was after we came back. Okay, that's my, and I just I should have done that. I just never lost it then because I, it's there, you know, and I don't have to think about it. Well, I should have done that. That's it was re- it was ridiculous how many picks he threw out. Oh, it was loads. It was absolutely loads. Because like there was Most like of were there, three one. of us or four of us were coming back, be like, "Oh, have you seen my pick?" And they were like, "Yeah, I've got one too." Man, I've yeah, got four. Really I've settled them on like the train a, back. A big special thing at first. <laughs> um, um, another thing I loved was the train at the very beginning of ACDC. Oh, oh my, my God. God. What they, a way. start with rock and roll train? Yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. It just, it just like burst through the stage. Yeah, well, the video is playing and you're like, oh, class, this is such a cool video. And then the next thing, there's a train crashes in the video but comes out through... The stage. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Good answers. I ended up thinking of stuff that was more sort of close to home. Like, remember in the Roaching Dove, they used to do the big fancy open mic? On do the I remember? Stage? We won it one time. <laughs> <laughs> Before that time now, there was one night, the winner was this American woman who just kind of strolled in like halfway through the show and signed up. And she went on, no instruments, nothing. And she started freestyle beatboxing. And in her freestyle beatbox tune, she like remixed and mashed up all of the tunes that people before her had played, which is, which is already impressive. But when you consider that, it was mostly original music that people were playing. And I think this girl said that she, had, she was from like Chicago or something and just got to Galway like the night before. This is all like local Galway musicians playing original music and she just gets up on stage after hearing it all once and mashes it into a freestyle beatbox. That sounds amazing. <laughs> you know? It was insane. It was, she was like, I remember there was some crazed lyrics. In oh, there. I knew well there'd be some craze. I was like, oh, this is going to be like bit of Tracy Brune, you know, <laughs> straight into murder me, murder me. You know? <laughs> uh, it was it was incredible. Actually, another in, 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 the, in the very same room, another one that I, I thought of years ago, I was at a My Fellow Sponges gig uh, who are always class live. Amazing, amazing live show. But they had um, a projector to the side of the stage. And I started playing this tune that incorporated the projector, but it was just slides of like that, like, like from a geography class explaining like how glaciers form and how the movement of glaciers forms like valleys and stuff it went on for about 15 minutes. And at the beginning, I'm thinking, is, is the glacier going to be a, a metaphor for something? Nah, it was just a tune about how glaciers are made. And everyone was on the edge of their seat. It was incredible. Like, I, like, I, can't, just, I can't picture that. Like, <laughs> it just sounds so bizarre. People just like emotionally connecting with this, this song that's just facts about glaciers with a corresponding slideshow. It and, sounds and, very They Might Be Giants. Yeah, yeah. It would put you in mind of They Might Be Giants as well. They have those kind of educational tunes as well. Do you remember any of the information about glaciers? 
for our listeners? No, no, I, no, I do not. That was <laughs> the the actual fact was not the part that stuck with me. <laughs> Let's move on. Our next question is, what goes into making a really good rhythm section to a band? Over to you, Martin. Me and you. Never mind, John. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, um, I want every rhythm guitarist um, out there to, to know that they are valid and they are seen. I think the main thing is always being steady and adding energy, which is when you're starting out, I think the hardest thing. I remember for ages, me and you used to be like, all right, and now it's the quiet bit and we're playing and it's like, but, 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 and it's loud and we're playing and we're like, da, 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 da. you know, and you just start rushing a lot, you know? I think it took a while for us to just settle back and create lots of noise and be loud without being, you know, speeding up. Yeah, um, I know it definitely took me a long time to like get comfortable with like just playing eighth notes. Like playing in a rock and roll band, there's, there's going to be a lot of times where as a bass player, the best thing to do is just go boom, 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 boom. And I really like shied away from that when I first started playing gigs because I thought it would be boring and I thought, you know, you should always be doing something a bit more like eye-catching and creative. I've grown to love playing eighth notes. You can you can inject a lot of feeling and groove into just that simple bump 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 bump. It's it's quite easy to to then lock in with the other musicians in the rhythm section. People tell you when you start playing bass, you know, always listen to the bass drum and and center around that. I like to listen to the hi-hats a lot, you know? A lot of the time, the hi-hats are just going, doing that. And I find if you like, if you just like really focus in and listen to that while you're playing the bass, you feel like you're just very connected to your drummer. Do you know those times where we've been on stage and we've just immediately, it's just been awesome, you know? It's completely in the pocket. I'd love to know how to get that every single time so well. Like you know if you, I mean? Yeah, because like, some, sometimes you're, ju- you're just not feeling it and you're not picking up what the other musician is laying down. But like, like, and, then, and then other times, you know, you, you're, it's like you're reading each other's thoughts and it's perfect. If you could just bottle that way that you get it right, because it's really hard to put your finger on exactly how you get that. There's definitely a lot of outside things that, you know, like I didn't sleep the night before because I was up doing a project for college and then I had to travel mm. half from Cork to Donegal to play a gig and I'm shattered, you know, and I think it's definitely yeah. things like that. Yeah, then like the like physical and mental state that you're in going on, on stage is going to affect like how, how good you can perform. Like if you're having a bad day, you're going to be a lot more in your own head and... You know, being a good rhythm section is about like empathy because you've got to, you know, without words, communicate with the other people in your band. I liked all the joking there, but John is really good to have as a, a rhythm it's, guitarist. Like, stop, it's dumb. The level of musicality that man has actually, it just makes me angry. <laughs> <laughs> like, I remember there's a few. One that jumps out at me is, do you remember when we played in Oris Nagale the last time? And we were just doing like this really mm. short set me, you and John got together beforehand. We were like, I was like, lads, a lot of mess. And uh, I think that 
that was one of the things that I started doing then afterwards being like, guys, bunch of messing in this song, yeah? And you kind of get, oh, there's a lot of mess that's going to come up. One of us is going to start doing it and we're all going to lock in with it and it's going to be fun. And it kinda, yeah, and, it def- and definitely I, I love, I love the concept of bit of messing. Like it, it, it makes you, it makes you turn around and look at your other musicians on stage and you have a laugh and it leads to, it leads to just like sort of more creative moments there's like there's something that you do that you started doing a lot which i love i don't know exactly what what to call it i i think of it as taking the one and putting it on the two yeah so i know exactly like a, what you're talking about that's essentially it you're, so you're going you're going one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and you're putting that <laughs> like the, the the accent and the symbol on the on the two the second time around it works so well when uh uh, fails and stuff you know where you're like you're doing a fail and you're going to come in but oh no I didn't come in and then you come in on two if you do not come in on two the song is ruined and you have to go home yeah. and, and whip yourself yeah. you know <laughs> but it's 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 great because it means if you're doing that it means myself and John have to be alert so that we can we can also accent the two because if we accent the one and you accent the two then it just sounds like a mistake because essentially it is it's it's you know we're not doing the same thing so so like doing a bit of messing is a really good way to get everyone in the rhythm section to be like paying attention to each other and just picking up what everyone else is laying down i think you said it there when you said eye contact that something that really helps and it's really hard in a big rock and roll band when you're like we're such a audience bass band you know we're always trying to have a laugh with the audience everyone you know and uh sometimes you just need to like turn around and look at each other kind of you know not turn but yeah glance backwards see what's going on and when you're looking at each other you kind of just helps know what's going to come next i don't know body language or it, it also it's also really important for like the amount of things that will go wrong in the space of a two hour gig Every single time, it's unbelievable. It's just it's just, you have to take it for granted that like several things are going to go wrong. You might find yourself like often I'll be like um, concentrating on my playing or looking at the crowd or whatever, and just kind of in my own head. And then the song will end, and I hear you going "Shocks, man!" And I turn over and your, your bass drum is like a good three feet away from you. <laughs> One time I like, hit you with a stick, didn't I? Oh, it does definitely happen more than once. Yeah. <laughs> You're at yeah. the back of the stage, you know? It's not intuitively where you think you're supposed to be looking, but it is really important. You are listening to Rockefeller Storytellers by Dead Horse Jive, the podcast where a band interviews itself on a weekly basis. We would love to hear from you if you have thoughts about today's episode. So you can get in touch on Facebook, send us a message, you can tweet us, Instagram, or you can send us an email at deadhorsejiveband at gmail.com. If you like today's episode, then please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts or do it the old fashioned way and tell a friend. And now, with no further ado, it's back to Rockefeller's Storytellers. Well, all the 
Music chat is really fascinating. I'm really excited to move on to the next question, which is, who would win in a match between Klopp's current Liverpool squad and Bob Paisley's 1978 European Cup winning squad? That's a good question. But the addendum is, who would win in a fight between Klopp's current squad and Paisley's 1978 European Cup winning squad? Uh, and I'm assuming by fight, just like just straight up fisty cuffs in the street. Yeah. Going to the first question, I don't know. I actually, you look at like 78 squad was also like like one of the best squads of all time. King Kenny, Sunez, Steve Hyland. Uh, Alan Hansen, Alan Hansen. But then like like the current uh, squad under Jurgen Klopp. It's, it's been breaking records left, right, and center. There's an argument to be made that their season up to the point where it had to be halted was the best season uh, domestically that a European side had ever had. That's including like every European league going back like over 100 years. Well, I know for a fact that that Bob Paisley side won the league that year and I think they were on like 68 points. And we currently yeah. are on 82 points. Yeah, with, what was something like, 12 games to play? Not, just I let us play the City out. game. It's a six-point game. You know? <laughs> <laughs> just get it over with. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've, been, I've been trying not to think about football now because, you know, you and I, we're, we're Liverpool supporters. We were having the best, the absolute best time of our lives this season. And then a global pandemic happens and football's called off. It's just, come on, man. What do we have to do? There was a load of them too. There was like, you know, we were, we had the season in the bag. Nobody could catch us. We're just too good this season. And then there was like World War Three. Remember that was a thing a few months ago? Yeah. And everyone yeah, wanted yeah. to, everyone to be called about off. How Liverpool, Liverpool won't win the league because World War Three will happen. <laughs> <laughs> and we laughed that off and now they're talking about I'd stop I'd stop watching it like all the headlines and stuff every day it's just clickbait of will they won't they oh I'll just click this oh yeah no I st- I completely checked out of football like since since the the league's got called off and when people ask me like oh do you think they'll finish the league do you think Liverpool will, will get to lift the title or the season will just be cancelled I just say I, I don't football Follow football, me. No, not a not a football guy. Me and Martin actually had tickets to the Crystal Palace game that was called off. And if we had won that game, Liverpool would have won the title that day. <laughs> but moving on to what I think is definitely the more fun part of the question. Who would win in a fight between those two squads? And I think naturally... You think a Klopp squad, a lot more physically fit. They don't drink. Paisley's side were in the pub before and after games, you know? Yeah. I know that I'm going to put my money on the Paisley side. Because, oh, really? And here, here, here's where it goes. The new guys are, like, really fit, and they're from all around the world, and it's class and stuff. But uh, the old team, have you seen photos of them? Look at those mustaches. Yeah. You have to be a hardy man to walk around with a mustache like that. <laughs> You've definitely taken some slagging and maybe someone slapped you around for having a mustache like that. 
And those shorts, man, basically <laughs> wife fronts they were playing in. <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think I'm going to have to go with Klopp's squad. Not for the obvious reasons of, of fitness. I just think it's two things for me. First off, Andy Robertson is going to fight so dirty. Sonus will throw a punch at him and he'll just fish gouge the guy, you know? And also, Virgil van Dijk is 10 feet tall and weighs 30 stone. If Paisley's side take out every other member of Klopp's side, Virgil van Dijk will, will, will take the rest of them. He'll eat them alive. That's all fair, but man, stay to those mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> Mohamed Salah, right? What, 42 goals in a season, season he joined. But like, do you think he could pull off one of those stashes, I don't. <laughs> so moving on, the next question is, it's a lockdown and I've had a really bad day. Recommend five films between you to lift my spirits. Anything jump to mind? I had a bad day yesterday because I had a lot of college work and stuff. And I took two hours out of my time to watch, yet again, Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, and it did lift my shout. spirits. Great shout, yeah. Ah, I remember when we lived together uh, in Wood Key and yeah. we just watched that film like every couple of days. <laughs> I remember I'd come home from college and I'd come into the sitting room and you'd be halfway through Guardians and I'd be like, what the fuck, lads? You're watching Guardians without me? <laughs> That's a great shout. I think, I think personally my, my like, I'm having a bad day, cheer me up movie is the 40-year-old virgin. I'm not exactly sure why, but that's like the first film that comes to mind. I think, you know, it's that like Judd Apatow comedy where it's really slow-paced. There's there's very little tension and it's mostly just kind of like funny comedians sitting around improving. And it's quite uplifting and it has, you know, a lot of heart to it as well. I don't know. It just gets me. And Steve Carell is like Tom Hanks level of likability. And then at the end, Age of Aquarius comes in. It, and ends on Age of Aquarius. How could you not love it? <laughs> I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, films like that are for this exact thing. Just so fun. You can put them on. They don't take any energy to watch. and They just kind of yeah, make you feel good. You yeah, know? yeah. I'd also go with just the first film I'd recommend to anyone for any occasion. Real good, feel good film. It's called Lars and the Real Girl. Ryan Gosling uh, plays a man who finds it very, very difficult to socialize with people to the point where he just avoids conversation at all costs, very closed in, lives with his brother and his brother's wife. And one day he brings home a Russian mail order sex doll and says, this is my fiance, Bianca. And he's just, as far as anyone can tell, he's just convinced that she's a real woman. Like he says oh, what's that, Bianca? And leans into her and then leans back and says, oh, she's, she, she's a bit cold. Can we get her a blanket? Things like that. So they bring him to a therapist and the therapist says, you know what? I think you should all play along. I think it'll be good for him. He's clearly, he clearly needs to work through whatever he's going through. And then this is like set in like small town, Minnesota, I think. And everyone in the town just plays along. And for you know, the like whole Bianca's town. Got, 
yeah, Bianca has like her own friends and her whole own life. She like volunteers at the local library and shit like that. <laughs> and, it, and it helps Ryan Gosling work through his, his own emotional and psychological hangups. It's beautiful. <laughs> I must check that out. <laughs> that doesn't really exactly sound like a Ryan Gosling film, you know? I know. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's, if, there's one, if there's one thing that kind of catches you, it's like this guy's supposed to be really awkward and terrible with people but he's also the most attractive man alive it's hard for the beautiful sharks oh sure i know well that's that's three anything else come to you are we sticking with like light-hearted no i I don't know i just something something like a good movie for a bad day Uh, a few weeks ago i had a bad day and i was just flicking through netflix and princess mononaka came up wow like what a film i know i'd seen it before but it's something else you know i nearly put it on again at the end you know i think i think the reason that studio ghibli movies are so good for when you've had a bad day is rather than like you know give you a kind of emotional catharsis or whatever they're just they're just completely taking you to a different world you get sucked into princess mononaka and you're just you're not thinking about your own problems for a couple of hours because you're so immersed in this whole different place this different universe they also have a a really distinct and interesting way of kind of telling basic morals. You know, these kind of lighthearted moral... Yeah, yeah. Just like make like it Princess, absolutely daft. Yeah, like Princess Mononaka is a pretty basic kind of treat nature with respect story, but it tells it in the most, like, absurd way. Yeah, that's a great shot. I love that flick. Um, that's four, right? That's four. Hot fuzz. Yeah, any of those Simon Pegg... Yeah, any, any of the any of the Cornetto trilogy, really. Yeah, I've got a quite controversial opinion on the Cornetto trilogy. Actually, like the World's End is actually my favorite. I've never I've never met anyone who agrees with me on this one, but I'm going to stand by it. I think I'd have to go with Half Fuzz. Is Timothy Dalton the bad lad in it? Yes, uh, in the ending, you know. Ah, ah, gruesome stuff. It's, There's five. So hopefully, so if you're horrific. having a bad day. If you're having a bad day now during your lockdown, hopefully that's a good list for you to lift your spirits. So moving on. Martin, what was the best gig on last year's Wild Atlantic tour? That is a very good question. On that tour was Fever Pitch. So let's just get it out there. That was the best gig of the tour. That massive might stage. have been the best gig we've ever done. Yeah, Massive stage yeah. in Galway. Is biggest crowd we played to? Like proper crowd into us fucking going. Oh, it has to to have been. There was a good, what, a good thousand people there maybe? I don't know. I wouldn't be any good at judging crowds, but I'd say there was about a million of them. You Um, heard it here first. A million people (laughs) at Dead Earth Jive. I don't know. It felt felt like that because you're on the really big stage. You know, when you're used to playing uh, like local pub gigs all the time, you can count the amount of people in the room pretty easily most of the time. So just like looking at it in a crowd where you're like, nah, there's not a notion I'd be able to count these. That's, that's already a, a, a number of people that's blowing my mind. Um, what about that, the bass drum? To right hit that thing uh, and the whole tent would go... <laughs> and there's something about it's a different energy like i i love this the small little small little venues where the crowd is right on top of you because it's it's very intimate and there's a, there's a particular kind of energy to that but when you're on a, a really big stage and you're kind of far away from the crowd because you're high up 
there's another different but equally great energy to that because you can move around and once you can move around a lot you also end up interacting with the other people in the band in different ways i remember just like waving across the stage over at dara i think and just like laughing at how far away we were because normally you know we're, we're used to doing stages where we're sardined in together and like now we're on a stage where there's just there's little to no danger at all of me just braining John with the head of my bass. I'd say you still managed it at some point, maybe getting on stage or off stage. Yeah, no, it'd be it'd be weird if I didn't. Do you want to pick any other one apart from that? Because that tour was lots of fun. And I remember Derry was so much fun. And we played it with Villa in France. And uh, I think they played like a punk version of like the Drake and Josh team or something. Oh, yes. Yes. Was that what it was? Oh, yeah, they were incredible. That was great. And that, that venue was amazing up in Derry. Uh, is it Bennigan's? Yeah. Oh, amazing venue. Uh, we were out the back. So it, you're like in the smoking area and there's a stage in the smoking area. The aesthetic is really cool. And just great crowd. Amazing crowd. Really like all those people were so, were so receptive and just like really up for getting into this band from Galway that they'd never heard of before. I'd love to play there again. We move on to a next question? Let's. I like this question I'm going to ask. How have you found a balance between band work and everything else around it? Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. because I, I know don't... my answer. I haven't. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> like... I have no advice on this one because honestly, it's just it's something that's always changing and always evolving, you know, because there's five people in our band and they they all have their own lives you know they've got their own jobs and college and you know they got living in different places and that's always changing whereas the needs of the band yeah and that 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 changes as well you know so you don't you you can't just settle into a routine you know like you have to just keep figuring it out as you go you got to keep um flying the airplane while you're trying to build it at the same time. Every single morning I wake up and I'm like, crap, what's, what's due for today, you know? Yeah, and like, no matter how long, I've been, I've been working in a pet shop for like a year and you'd think I would have found a way of like planning out my days off so that I don't end up, you know, coming back from a gig at six in the morning and then starting work at nine that same morning. But oh boy, does that still happen? Yeah, way too uh, much. I don't know. If honestly, if if anyone has an answer to how to do that, I, I really want to know. Uh, I guess really all I've found is that you just you just have to keep keep trying to learn as you go. Uh, being in a rock and roll band is it's a lot of work. There's there's a lot of stuff that has to go into it. A lot of traveling, a lot of practicing. And then, you know, you got to have a, a life on top of that. So it's, it's a tough one. I agree. I, th- I, think, oh, I think we've come up to our last one. I like this one. This is a lot easier. So we're going to end on this question here. So you have one euro and one chance to play something on the jukebox. What is it? Straight away, I know what it is because I've done it. I like, I like it. My money's worth. You know, I like it. Johnny was. Eight minutes long. Absolute banger. Oh. Let's go. Absolute cracker. Stiff little fingers. Johnny Waz. That is, a, that is a great answer. And you definitely want to pick a song, you know, other people will enjoy. So my, my mind goes straight away to ACDC. 
Like ev- everyone loves ACDC. It's really hard not to. Not me. Um, who keeps saying that? <laughs> I'd I'd probably go for maybe Walk All Over You. What a song, man. Paul Scott right. is just a man. I think it's a, it's a really good pub song as well because it comes in with the big chords and the cymbals. It kind of like it's kind of like, hey, hey, you, shut up and listen. And then and then it like just goes head first into the really fast rock and roll stuff, uh, and it pulls you in, and then it slows down again for the chorus. It's like halftime uh, chorus, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes halftime. Awesome. Out of my way, I'm running high. And that's the fast. And then when, ba- when da- John da- goes, da- tonight is going to be the night. And then it's halftime. Uh, that's, that's just ACDC all over. So simple and so hard to do. So effective. My favorite bit about that song is definitely in the music video. Just how does Bon Scott look that cheeky? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's just, it's just a gift. He just looks at the camera and you're like, ugh. I guess I guess whatever dirty thoughts he is having 100% of the time is just just shining out of his face Uh, uh, you know what I think uh, I think I'm going to go listen to some ACDC bye thank you very much for listening to Rockefeller Storytellers the podcast by Dead Horse Jive If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, then we are on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, Bandcamp, and all the other usual online places. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we would love to hear from you. So please get in touch if you want to let us know what you thought of this week's episode, or if you have any questions of your own for the band. If you're feeling extra generous and you want to do your part to help keep independent musicians afloat, then you can send us a small tip on paypal.me forward slash deadhorsejive. All contributions, no matter how large or small, will help us to pay for things such as recording time, touring expenses, purchasing new equipment, and the marketing we use to help get our music out there. Once again, thank you very much for listening to Rockefeller's Storytellers. We hope you enjoyed and see you next time.